Welcome to June 11th. We're on day 161 of Bible in a Year with Bill. Today we're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapters 10 to 12, and then we're going to finish off today's reading with Psalm 80. So let's get right into it. The book of 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon and his connection with the name of God. She came to put his reputation to the test by asking tough questions. She made a grand and showy entrance into Jerusalem, camels loaded with spices, a huge amount of gold and precious gems. She came to Solomon and talked about all the things that she cared about, emptying her heart to him. Solomon answered everything she put to him. Nothing stumped him. When the queen of Sheba experienced for herself Solomon's wisdom and saw with her own eyes the palace he had built, the meals that were served, the impressive array of court officials and sharply dressed waiters, the lavish crystal and the elaborate worship extravagant with whole burnt offerings at the steps leading up to the temple of God, it took her breath away. She said to the king, It's all true. Your reputation for accomplishment and wisdom that reached all the way to my country is confirmed. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it for myself. They didn't exaggerate. Such wisdom and elegance, far more than I could ever have imagined. Lucky the men and women who work for you, getting to be around you every day and hear your wise words firsthand. And blessed be God, your God, who took, took such a liking to you and made you king. Clearly, God's love for Israel is behind this, making you king to keep a just order and nurture a God-pleasing people. She, she then gave the king four and a half tons of gold and also sack after sack of spices and expensive gems. There hasn't been a cargo of spices like that since that shipload the Queen of Sheba brought to King Solomon. The ships of Hiram also imported gold from Ophir, along with tremendous loads of fragrant sandalwood and expensive gems. The king used the sandalwood for fine cabinetry in the temple of God and the palace complex, and for making harps and dulcimers for the musicians. Nothing like that shipment of sandalwood has been seen since. King Solomon, for his part, gave the Queen of Sheba all her heart's desire, everything she asked for, on top of what she had, of what he had already so generously given her. Satisfied, she returned home with her train of servants. Solomon received 25 tons of gold in tribute annually. This was above and beyond the taxes and profit on trade with merchants and assorted kings and governors. King Solomon crafted 200 body-length shields of hammered gold, seven and a half pounds of gold to each shield, and 300 smaller shields about half that size. He stored the shields in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king built a massive throne of ivory accented with a veneer of gold. The throne had six steps leading up to it, its back shaped like an arch. The armrests on each side were flanked by lions. Lions, twelve of them, were placed at either end of the six steps. There was no throne like it in any of the surrounding kingdoms. King Solomon's chalices and tankards were made of gold, and all the dinnerware and serving utensils, utensils in the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver. Silver was considered common and cheap. 
The king had a fleet of ocean-going ships at sea with Hiram's ships. Every three years, the fleet would bring in a cargo of gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and peacocks. King Solomon was wiser and richer than all the kings of the earth. He surpassed them all. People came from all over the world to be with Solomon and drink in the wisdom God had given him. And everyone who came brought gifts, artifacts of gold and silver, fashionable robes and gowns, the latest in weapons, exotic spices, and horses and mules, parades of visitors year after year. Solomon collected chariots and horses, 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. He stabled them in the special chariot cities as well as in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as rocks and cedar as common as the fig trees in the lowland hills. His horses were brought in from Egypt and Cilicia, specially acquired by the king's agents. Chariots from Egypt went for 15 pounds of silver and a horse for about three and three-quarter pounds of silver. Solomon carried on a brisk horse-trading business with the Hittite and Aramean royal houses. 1 Kings chapter 11 King Solomon was obsessed with women. Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of the many foreign women he loved, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite. He took them from the surrounding pagan nations of which God had clearly warned Israel, you must not marry them, so they'll seduce you into, into infatuations with their gods. Solomon fell in love with them anyway, refusing to give them up. He had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women in all, and they did seduce him away from God. As Solomon grew older, his wives beguiled him with their alien gods, and he became unfaithful. He didn't stay true to his God, as his father David had done. Solomon took up with Ashtoreth, the whore goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the horrible god of the Ammonites. Solomon openly defied God. He did not follow in his father David's footsteps. He went on to build a sacred shrine to Chemosh, the horrible god of Moab, and to Molech, the horrible god of the Ammonites, on a hill just east of Jerusalem. He built similar shrines for all his foreign wives, who then polluted the countryside with the smoke and stench of their sacrifices. God was furious with Solomon for abandoning the God of Israel, the God who had twice appeared to him and had so clearly commanded him not to fool around with other gods. Solomon faithlessly disobeyed God's orders. God said to Solomon, Since this is the way it is with you, that you have no intention of keeping faith with me and doing what I have commanded, I'm going to rip the kingdom from you and hand it over to someone else. But out of respect for your father, David, I won't do it in your lifetime. It's your son who will pay. I'll rip it right out of his grasp. Even then, I won't take it all. I'll leave him one tribe in honor of my servant, David, and out of respect for my chosen city, Jerusalem. God incited Hadad, a descendant of the king of Edom, into hostile actions against Solomon. Years earlier, when David devastated Edom, Joab, commander of the army, on his way to bury the dead, massacred all the men of Edom. Joab and his army stayed there for six months, making sure they had killed every man in Edom. Hadad, just a boy at the time, had escaped with some of the Edomites who had worked for his father. Their escape route took them through Midian to Paran. They picked up some men in Paran and went on to Egypt and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave Hadad a house, 
food, and even land. Pharaoh liked him so well that he gave him the sister of his wife, Queen Tophines, in marriage. She bore Hadad a son named Ginnabath, who was raised like one of the royal family. Ginnabath grew up in the palace with Pharaoh's children. While living in Egypt, Hadad heard that both David and Joab, commander of the army, were dead. He approached Pharaoh and said, "'Send me off with your blessing. I want to return to my country.' But why, said Pharaoh, why would you want to leave here? Hasn't everything been to your liking? Everything has been just fine, said Hadad, but I want to go home. Give me a good send-off. Then God incited another adversary adversary against Solomon, Rezon, son of Eliada, who had deserted from his master, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. After David's slaughter of the Arameans, Rezon collected a band of outlaws and became their leader. They later settled in Damascus, where Rezon eventually took over as king. Like Hadad, Rezon was a thorn in Israel's side all of Solomon's life. He was king over Aram, and he hated Israel. And then the last straw. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was an Ephraimite from Zeradah, his mother a widow named Zeruah. He served in Solomon's administration. This is why he rebelled. Solomon had built the outer defense system, the Milo, and had restored the fortifications that were in disrepair from the time of his father David. Jeroboam stood out during the construction as strong and able. When Solomon observed what a good worker he was, he put the young man in charge of the entire workforce of the tribe of Joseph. One day Jeroboam was walking down the road out of Jerusalem. Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, wearing a brand new cloak, met him. The two of them were alone on that remote stretch of road. Ahijah took off the new cloak that he was wearing and ripped it into twelve pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten of these pieces for yourself. This is by order of the God of Israel. See what I'm doing. I'm ripping the kingdom out of Solomon's hands and giving you ten of the tribes. In honor of my servant David and out of respect for Jerusalem, the city I especially chose, he will get one tribe. And here's the reason. He faithlessly abandoned me and went off worshipping Ashtoreth, goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, god of the Moabites, and Molech, god of the Ammonites. He hasn't lived the way I have shown him, hasn't done what I have wanted, and hasn't followed directions or obeyed orders as his father David did. Still, I won't take the whole kingdom away from him. I'll stick with him through his life through his lifetime because of my servant David, whom I chose and who did follow my directions and obey my orders. But after that, I'll remove the kingdom from his son's control and give you ten tribes. I'll leave one tribe to his son to maintain a witness to my servant David in Jerusalem, the city I chose as a memorial to my name. But I have taken you in hand. Rule to your heart's content. You are to be the king of Israel. If you listen to what I tell you and live the way I show you and do what pleases me, following directions and obeying orders as my servant David did, I'll stick with you no matter what. I'll build you a kingdom as solid as the one I built for David. Israel will be yours. I am bringing pain and trouble on David's descendants, but the trials won't last forever. Solomon ordered the assassination of Jeroboam, but he got away to Egypt and found asylum there with King Shishak. He remained in exile there until Solomon died. The rest of Solomon's life and rule, his work and his wisdom, you can read for yourself in the Chronicles of Solomon. 
Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for forty years. He died and was buried in the city of David, his father. His son, Rehoboam, was the next king. 1 Kings chapter 12 Rehoboam traveled to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to inaugurate him as king. Jeroboam had been in Egypt, where he had taken asylum from King Solomon. When he got the report of Solomon's death, he had come back. Rehoboam assembled Jeroboam and all the people. They said to Rehoboam, Your father made life hard for us, worked our fingers to the bone. Give us a break. Lighten up on us and we'll willingly serve you. Give me three days to think it over, then come back, Rehoboam said. King Rehoboam talked it over with the elders who had advised his father when he was alive. What's your counsel? How do you suggest that I answer the people? They said, If you will be a servant to this people, be considerate of their needs, and respond with compassion, work things out with them, they'll end up doing anything for you. But he rejected the counsel of the elders and asked the young men he'd grown up with, who were now currying his favor, What do you think? What should I say to these people who are saying, Give us a break from your father's harsh ways. Lighten up on us. The young Turks he'd grown up with said, These people who complain, Your father was too hard on us. Lighten up. Well, tell them this. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. If you think life under my father was hard, you haven't seen the half of it. My father thrashed you with whips. I'll beat you bloody with chains. Three days later, Jeroboam and the people showed up, just as Rehoboam had directed when he said, Give me three days to think it over, then come back. The king's answer was harsh and rude. He spurned the counsel of the elders and went with the advice of the younger set. If you think life under my father was hard, you haven't seen the half of it. My father thrashed you with whips. I'll beat you with bloody chains. Rehoboam turned a deaf ear to the people. God was behind all this, confirming the message that he had given to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah of Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king hadn't listened to a word they'd said, they stood up to him and said, Get lost, David. We've had it with you, son of Jesse. Let's get out of here, Israel, and fast. From now on, David, mind your own business. And with that, they left. But Rehoboam continued to rule those who lived in the towns of Judah. When King Rehoboam next sent out Adoniram, head of the workforce, the Israelites ganged up on him, pelted him with stones, and killed him. King Rehoboam jumped in his chariot and fled to Jerusalem as fast as he could. Israel has been in rebellion against the Davidic regime ever since. When the word was out that Jeroboam was back and available, the assembled people invited him and inaugurated him king over all Israel. The only tribe left to the Davidic dynasty was Judah. When Rehoboam got back to Jerusalem, he called up the men of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 of their best soldiers, to go to war against Israel and recover the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. At this time, the word of God came to Shemaiah, a man of God. Tell this to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, along with everyone in Judah and Benjamin and anyone else who is around. This is God's word. Don't march out. Don't fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go back home, every last one of you. I'm in charge here. And they did it. They did what God said and went home. 
Jeroboam made a fort at Shechem in the hills of Ephraim and made that his headquarters. He also built a fort at Penuel. But then Jeroboam thought, it won't be long before the kingdom is reunited under David. As soon as these people resume worship at the temple of God in Jerusalem, they'll start thinking of Rehoboam, king of Judah, as their ruler. They'll then kill me and go back to King Rehoboam. So the king came up with a plan. He made two golden calves. Then he announced, it's too much trouble for you to go to Jerusalem to worship. Look at these, the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He put one calf in Bethel, the other he placed in Dan. This was blatant sin. Think of it, people traveling all the way to Dan to worship a calf. And that wasn't the end of it. Jeroboam built forbidden shrines all over the place and recruited priests from wherever he could find them, regardless of whether they were fit for the job or not. To top it off, he created a holy New Year festival to be held on the 15th day of the 8th month to replace the one in Judah, complete with worship offered on the altar at Bethel and sacrificing before the calves he had set up there. He staffed Bethel with priests from the local shrines he had made. This was strictly his own idea to compete with the feast in Judah, and he carried it off with flair, a festival exclusively for Israel, Jeroboam himself leading the worship at the altar. Psalm chapter 80. This is an Asaph psalm. Listen, shepherd, Israel shepherd, get all your Joseph sheep together. Throw beams of light from your dazzling throne so Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh can see where they're going. Get out of bed, you've slept long enough. Come on the run before it's too late. God, come back. Smile your blessing smile. That will be our salvation. God, God of the angel armies, how long will you smolder like a sleeping volcano while your people call for fire and brimstone? You put us on a diet of tears, bucket after bucket of salty tears to drink. You make us look ridiculous to our friends. Our enemies poke fun day after day. God of the angel armies, come back. Smile your blessing smile. That will be our salvation. Remember how you brought a young vine from Egypt, cleared out the brambles and briars, and planted your very own vineyard. You prepared the good earth, you planted her roots deep, the vineyard filled the land, your vine soared high and shaded the mountains, even dwarfing the giant cedars. Your vine ranged west to the sea and east to the river. So why do you no longer protect your vine? Trespassers pick its grapes at will, wild pigs crash through and crush it, and the mice nibble away at what's left. God of the angel armies, turn our way. Take a good look at what's happened and attend to this vine. Care for what you once tenderly planted, the vine you raised from a shoot. And those who dared to set it on fire, give them a look that will kill. Then take the hand of your once favorite child, the child you raised to adulthood. We will never turn our back on you. Breathe life into our lungs so we can shout your name. God, God of the angel armies, come back. Smile your blessing smile. That will be our salvation. (music) 
The psalmist in Psalm 80 paints a picture of Israel as a vine planted by God, but left on its own to be trampled and burned. It was by their own doing, their own pride, that caused God to allow them to be picked at by trespassers and trampled by wild pigs. Will they ever pull up their bootstraps and let God replant the vine? In our present day, we celebrate mankind. Nothing is impossible for us. Anything can be achieved if we just want it enough. Is that true? Of course not. Even Christians in today's society have been fooled by the politically correct idea that we are in control of our own destiny. The writer of Psalm 80 knew the truth. If redemption was to come for Israel, it could only come by the hand of God. Does that mean that he can't use us? No, God uses us to bring about his plans. He gives everyone knowledge and abilities to use for him. We can make a difference if we allow ourselves to be equipped and used of God. We all have a specific purpose established by God. We are responsible to develop that purpose through the abilities and opportunities God has given us. Everyone is important in God's plan, whether you are the leader of a nation or a common laborer. All are useful in God's plan of advancing His kingdom in this world. Let's pray today that we would each seek our own destiny through prayer and then through our God-given abilities and His help. Train and use these abilities for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom here on earth. Thanks for joining me today on Bible in a Year with Bill. Come back tomorrow as we carry on with the Old Testament book of 1 Kings and another psalm. See you then. Take care now.